Alrighty. Um, I guess I'll introduce your podcast. This is fine. Uh, hello, welcome, one and all. Uh, I am not Fabby. Uh, I am Harry, and welcome to Fabby's podcast. And our special guest today is the one and only Fabby Dillam. How are you? I'm I'm good. I'm really excited to do this. Thank you so much for for being my 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 guest host slash interviewer. Uh, hey, you're very welcome. It was it was fun finally watching your top ten, um, or at least I watched uh, five of them anyway. But uh, it's finally getting getting inside your head as to you getting inside ours for a change. So this was quite nice. Um, and swiftly swiftly beginning, uh, our first film uh, is one that I did not see, but it is Look Who's Back, which was directed by David Rent and stars Olivia Mas. Uh, I'm gonna all these names are gonna be difficult for me. <laughs> Oliver uh, Masucci, Masucci and yeah. Fabian Bush. Um, and obviously, the kind of brief thing of it for those who don't know is uh, Adolf Hitler returns uh, to modern civilization, but with no memory of anything he did or the war or anything like that. But uh, once he returns, he obviously is trying to figure out life, but nobody believes that he is Adolf Hitler, thinking he's either a prankster or uh, a method actor. So tell me, um, quite a quite a quite a film, just straight off the bat. Uh, why why this one? Why is this your top ten? I I mean maybe I have to explain first what my what my top ten or so called top tens are. It's 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 less the the list of the best ten films I've seen over the past twenty or so years of my life. It's it's more the list. Of films that have that mean the most to me, or that have 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 films that made me, if you want, if you want to go for a bit sensational um, expression, and and this one is it's a very bizarre and yet so simple concept. It's it's literally Hitler waking up seventy or so years after his death, the same place where he died in the middle of of twenty fifteen or twenty fourteen. I can't remember um, Berlin. And he he goes around Germany and and sends out his same propaganda message as he did all those years ago. And and at the end of the day, it works. At the end of the day, you're kind of yeah. Every every single it's it's obviously a mockumentary, but every single time you laugh in that film, it kind of that st- gets stuck in your throat. And Germany is in particular has had a huge issue with like neo Nazism coming back and and the the neo Nazi party has been gaining so many followers over the past years or so, and I went to see this in Berlin. I was actually in Berlin when this came out, and we went to watch it at the cinema, and I remember just sitting there going, "This could all just happen. This could just be because they they do a lot of undercover filming, and you see Hitler taking selfies and outside the Brandenburger tour in in Berlin, and everyone kind of hyping him, and everyone kind of finding him a hilarious comedian, yet." all he does is say exactly those words he did all those years ago and he has success again and it's it's just really scary to kind of see how easy that could all work out yeah, i mean as you put on your letterboxd uh, notes for this film you put uh it's it's about a message a film can send uh the power of films and it's a very underrated film so what what message do you think it is trying to send as a film it it just really opens our eyes at like how how bl- oh, it did for me at least how blind we are how easily we forget that you know those those huge crimes and those horrible events that happened during the second world war especially in germany um how they are all not that far away as we might think you know the the it's all still there it's all it can all still happen and 
that we need to be very careful what we do because you then see you see like tourists taking selfies with with Hitler and and how they all like follow him and how they all pretend to you know there's loads of like Nazi salutes and stuff and and that's exactly what he wants and that's what he plays on and and he doesn't like he you know kind of vibes on that and he grows powerful with them and and you kind of realize even as a joke that's exactly what what he wants and before you know it you start to believe in him again and yeah. th it's just it's so scary and it it's it just it really like opened my eyes to to what a film can do not just entertaining me but also making me think i was sat in that chair at the cinema for so long after the credits were done rolling thinking what the hell had I, have i just seen and this is ridiculous yeah and it was shot guerrilla style as well so like he kind of really yeah. did just go out there and do that which yeah. makes which makes it even scarier <laughs> to be yeah that yeah that they, was... they went to like there's one scene where they go to this like nazi party cellar where they where they all live and, and he has a real go at them for like why are you slacking so much we've we've lost so many followers and we've done so poorly over the past 70 years get your shit together and the guy sits there and goes oh wow yeah you're right i'm sorry my leader or whatever he calls him you know and it's it's like you you watch and this guy is for real you know that's like a human being that you might as well come across in germany and it's just seven it's been 70 years it might as well have been less gosh and so uh as segues go this is a bad one but from one german film to a swiss german film uh uh of course titled die schwab which uh, i probably messed the pronunciation up but in english it is the swallow uh, it's of course directed by Mano Khalil and stars uh, Manon Funda and Ishmael Zagros. Uh, and for those who haven't seen it, a young Swiss girl Maria searches for her father as she becomes closer with her friend Ramo, uh, battling her dark past and politics along the way. Now, this film's quite special because I remember watching this with you because you worked on it, didn't you? I did. I, I This was the first film set I was ever on. And. Well, the first professional film set, I need to say. I, I mustn't disregard those films I did as a kid back in school. Uh, no, yeah, this was the first film I was on, and it was... I mean, the director is my uncle, and he was kind of my gateway into the into the industry. And it was it's special for so many reasons. A, because it opened a door to a world that I had uh, no access to whatsoever. It opened... It kind of the, the the concept of this is really strange because it's it's the story of this half Swiss half Kurdish girl who discovers that her dad might still be alive in Kurdistan, and she subsequently leaves Switzerland and goes to meet him. And the the weird thing is that I was at the time going through pretty much exactly the same story, so I was also I'm also half Kurdish half Swiss, and I obviously knew my dad was still alive, but I still went to go and meet my dad on film set over there because he was shot in the northern part of Iraq and that's where we met so it was kind of a parallel thing where we were shooting the film and I was I, I met my dad at the same time and I was you know not only meeting my father but also learning so much about filmmaking and and yeah for me this is much less about the story or the content or the the I don't know the the quality of the film than more my personal connection to it that's why it made the list and uh, is there anything like uh, for this kind of? Is there anything when you think back to this or when you were on it that because uh, you were on, you did this before you went to uh, met and obviously met me and met everyone else there and started actually working yourself as uh, many things a director a writer all that kind of. Is there anything that helped that when you were there really helped you or anything you learned in particular that kind of you carried on through going to met and learning all the stuff. Ooh. It's kind of hard to say because you learn so much 
it's yeah and you always i always say that as well i, I learned so much on this but then when you actually get asked what exactly did you learn it's kind of hard <laughs> to put into words i i would say my 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 two rules i reckon that i've learned from film sets in general i'm not sure it probably started on this one but my two rules are very simple to work on film number one work your butt off and number two don't be an asshole and yeah. if you follow those rules and you learn how to drive, you can get pretty fucking far in the industry. <laughs> and <laughs> rule and three: was, learn to drive, get a license. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's that's like almost rule zero because once you learn how to drive, you can get started properly. Um, but but yeah, so it's it's those two things. And and I I went I went there to Kurdistan, and the crew went a bit early because I was still at school actually, so I went a bit later. Um, and the, there'd been like the, the they were they were I I can say this now it's been it's been six years, but the crew had like interdepartment interdepartmental issues. There was a, a a cultural gap between the Europeans and the the Kurdish people. There was like there there was a lot of stuff going on, and and people kind of seized me a bit as their psychologist when I arrived, and they loved having an outsider there who hadn't really been with them so they like latched, latched onto me and all needed their help my help and advice which I was you know at 19 obviously incapable of giving but incapable of giving but it was still it kind of showed me how much can go wrong and how you can still make a film but how much it's important to to keep a good connection or a good relationship to your to your co-workers on a film set yeah and so speaking of uh film sets and how you kind of you started with this film you uh, grow, tell me about you growing up with film. Your love of film. Where did it? How did it kind of come about for you? Uh, it's a question I've been asking myself a lot recently. Because I I was never into, you know, I did I didn't have this this childhood where my mum would would just like I don't know show me a bunch of films and then I would get hooked and I would start exploring myself or where I just have like three or four friends where we'd always watch films together. It was it was a bit. I think it was a bit broader than that. It was stories in general because my mum loves books. She loves reading and she used to always read me books and, and she read me loads and loads of books and I started reading myself. And and films were there, but they were never... My mum always told me that you, you ought to I ought to read the book before I saw the film because she wanted me to have, I don't know, my own fantasy of it or my own image in my head or whatever it was. And that was kind of the way... I got into stories I reckon it was it was through books and and through theater plays as well as, as much as films and then yeah really the the swallow the the film we just spoke about was the first one where I kind of realized this is something I could I I enjoy doing I love the atmosphere of a set and I love being on set and that's where I kind of discovered my love for film as much as my love for filmmaking, perhaps even more, actually. My love for filmmaking in particular. Is there any particular films or hell, even books at this point that you remember growing up with fondly? Are there any like particular ones growing up that you were, that were, maybe that fourteen-year-old or I guess ten-year-old Fabi would have put in his top ten back in the day? Uh, the the big one is is Harry Potter. I'm to this day a huge Harry Potter fan. I'm re-listening to the audiobooks now, even though I know them off by heart. <laughs> and when I say off off by heart, I mean off by heart. Um, so that's that's the, the the kind of the big one, the blockbuster one. I never loved the the films as much. I used to always uh, I had all the DVDs, obviously, and I used to always watch the DVD extras to kind of get behind the scenes because that was what almost mm. interested me more. Um, 
And there's loads of German books my mum used to read to me. There, there's an uh, an author called Cornelia Funke who made tons and tons of beautiful children's stories that I all cherish very uh, much and and hold very dearly. Um, yeah, th- is that an answer? Yeah, I'll take that as an answer. That's, that's a pretty okay. good one. A little, little Let's insight go with Harry to you, Cornelia Funke. I'm sure, they've been translated. Yeah. I I should I should think they have. Um, and for me, I mean, Harry Potter is obviously a very well-known British film, and I think this is the next film we're going to talk about is a less-known British film. I think I certainly hadn't heard of this before you put it up there, but it's uh, Looking for Eric, directed by Ken Loach and starring uh, Steve uh, Steve Evans and Eric Cant- uh, Cantona. Gosh, I'm terrible with names. Um, and for those who don't know, a football fanatic postman, uh, Eric is his life is descending into. Oh, gosh, I wrote a terrible synopsis for this. Uh, Eric, who is a football fanatic and a postman, uh, his life is going downhill when he receives some philosophical advice from a mentor, uh, a, a, a true-to-life performance from Eric Cantona himself. Um, so tell me tell me about this one. I know you love football. I know you're a massive fan of it. I've seen you streaming it many times. So is this is it just that uh, that connection for you that does it for this film, or what is it? Yeah, I, I think it's this is a cheeky way of, of of kind of putting putting many things under one under one hat because I love I I love Man United. I love football in general, I love England and I love English films. I love English humour. I I my I was I was an avid fan of, of films as um Love Actually we'd watch once a year, obviously, religiously. About a boy was, was another one of those that I just I just loved being a single um son as well and uh, an only child is the word i think um and and this kind of this kind of combines all those loves in into one because as a man united fan you've got to love eric canton he's an absolute club legend and he's kind of started this renegade career as a as an actor after his footballing career and he's he's like a 90s icon of of man united and and this film really gets it and i usually don't love football films because they're also you know because as a football fan you always see you always look for the mistakes and you always see like a, that's an actor that's not a footballer he doesn't like you know the movements are wrong and everything seems a bit eh. but then but then this one is is th- this one gets it right because it's all about Cantona and who he was as a person combined with the decent story and it's definitely not one of, of Ken Loach's best fi- I mean you know to me it obviously is but it's not one of his most celebrated films and, and for good reason because he has some absolutely amazing films but ah, it's just there's nothing I don't love about this film it's so surreal and funny and it's all about how great Man United is and that's all I need <laughs> so you support Man United yourself then yeah yeah I have done it yeah. since I was a kid I mean that's that's very fair. I personally, I did at one point. I think when I was ten, also support Manchester United, but then you know, that was mostly my osmosis. I don't think it was by anything else. Um, it counts. They became shit after that anyway, so don't worry. <laughs> Didn't miss out then. Good. Um, uh, our next film I just don't have a segue for is Stranger Than Fiction, um, which is directed by Mark Foster, stars Will Ferrell and Emma Thompson, along with many others, um, and of course this one. This one I think is is kind of a staple filmmaking one, which uh, is which I think obviously I, I think I definitely had to watch it as part of uh, as Met and all this kind of stuff. What is it about this film about uh, Will Ferrell hearing a narration in his head that begins to affect his life? What is it about this film that gets you? Because I know you said in your uh, 
in your notes again, it's one of the two Swiss directors, obviously the other one being your uncle, uh, that makes it into the list. And it's just a bizarre story. So what is it about the bizarre story? This is... I've been trying really hard to find what makes a film that I really like because I'm not I'm not the biggest I've I've mentioned this on the podcast before I'm not the hugest Marvel fan I'm not the guy that will will love a big action thrilling action packed blockbuster I'm not going to not that I hate those films but it's just it's not the one I completely die for and I I reckon this comes pretty close to my idea of what makes a good film I like my films to have a very clear story from kind of start to finish to end with with the character arc with where we get to see the psychology behind the the protagonist and i like and this is the key factor i think i like a bit of magic added to it like a something that can only be found in a film and this is a bit of non-realism yeah I mean, one might call it that but it could it could also be charlie kaufman is another one of those is a, is a writer that that gets really close every time he writes something because he has those really like you know like the the eternal sunshine of the spotless mind is another one of those examples it's a very psychological film and and it like centers around the question if you could forget someone or like erase someone from your memory would you do it yes or no and then he tells it with that extra sprinkle of fantasy or something and this film has that as well that bizarre thing where where a story is is written about the main character and the, the the author is known for killing off her her heroes at the end of her books so he kind and he starts hearing her voice as she types and then he realizes that he's going to die because she's the author and then he has to kind of it's this bizarre like rally to save his own life because she has to kill him because it's in her book and I've watched this film so many times and there's so many charming performances in there and there's yeah the the plot is so original the way it's told is is so original it's it's surreal funny charming and Will Ferrell can act yeah. for anyone who had any doubts you know I mean he's not just the giggles he's so much more than just that <laughs> and it shows in this I mean, so, some would argue he's not all giggles. Sometimes he's not funny. But I'd say I am I'm a bit on the fence with the furrow myself. But this isn't my podcast. This is your podcast. So let's okay. uh, let's move on to well, okay. Trivia, let me let I me missed. let me rephrase then because I haven't I haven't actually I haven't seen all of Will, Rell, Will Ferrell's work. So I'm just oh, going to say in it. this you film his performance is spot on. Yeah. He he can act in this film. <laughs> Uh, nice retcon. You should speak to J.J. Abrams. Um, so Thank now you. we're gonna uh, we're gonna move on to trivia, which I missed before as well. So you're gonna get two and one. Uh, the okay, first one being uh, the first one being your your uncle, um, Mano Khalil. Am I? Is that right? Yes. He is your uncle. Yes. Can you confirm yes. that in a court of law? Uh, <laughs> the, what award did he win in 2013? And it wasn't obviously for Daishvar, but he did win an award. Yes, for the beekeeper. Uh, he won the Swiss Film Prize. I don't know what you've translated the the Prix de Film Suisse, the the Swiss Film Prize of Best Swiss Film for Documentary. Uh, he did. Do you know what it is? It's a name. It's it's a man's name. The award. I didn't write it's down like what it name. physically is. Uh, yeah, oh, according to his know. IMDb, it is a man's name. The the name oh. of the award. I wouldn't know. I know he won the Swiss Film Prize for Best Documentary for The Beekeeper that year. I don't know who it's named after. It might also be a I different mean, award. I'm not sure. 
I mean, I'll give I'll give you it. I th it's it's called the Evictor Award, and it was for Der Imker, which I assume translates. Yeah, to yeah the that's the beekeeper. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah, hey, I'll give it to you. There's a point okay. for you. Okay. Well done. Um, and my other one is a little bit more of a uh, a guess uh, for you, but who knows? You might be able to get it. Uh, speaking of uh, Strangers of Fiction, looking for Eric, of course. Emma Thompson is also British as well, and the question is, what uh, football team does Will Ferrell support? Uh, or think, yes, what does Will Ferrell support? Ooh. Football, uh, uh, British football team. Ooh. Will Ferrell likes to play losers in films, so I'm going to either go with <laughs> Arsenal or Liverpool. Um, I'm 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 going to go with Arsenal. Wrong colours, I'm afraid. It is Chelsea. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. That's what a weirdo. <laughs> You're so surprised. I don't know it's nothing just, about football just gone, to give any. He's just gone down in my in my <laughs> list of best actors. Well, hey, just you said he likes to places. play losers, so I'm surprised you didn't, you didn't pick Yeah, them. I mean, fair enough, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, the next ones we're going to talk about uh, is after I ask you about Met Film Score course where we Indeed. met and where we met many of our friends uh obviously as you've been telling everyone in these podcasts people like to obviously talk a bit of dirt about met and uh and also also according to your podcast also sing praise to them as well so where do you stand where do i stand regarding met met was met was perfect for me it was the right place at the right time for me i had always wanted to come to to london at some point and I'd actually planned on coming to Met a year later, and then when I went to the Met to the Open Day, like three three weeks before term started, wanting to apply for a year later, I was like told that they'd had open spots, and I was like, wait, what for? In three weeks? And they were like, yeah, sure, in three weeks you can start. And I'm like, okay, I'll start applying. And I literally like uprooted my life within two weeks and, and came here. So it was really, it was a long time coming, but it, it was a really spontaneous decision to do it. Um, I. Speaking of Met alone is very different to comparing Met to film schools. And speaking to Met alone, I make great, I met great people. I met some tutors who I really hope will act as mentors after I graduate because they're really good. They know what they're talking about. They they have such passion and knowledge, and they were able to teach me so much about the industry, about the British industry in particular. Because I have got quite a, a, a not a thorough, but it's a bit. Sounds a bit snobbish, but I have some understanding of the Swiss film industry, and none whatsoever about the English one. And they've been able to to kind of introduce that to me very well. So I've taken a lot out of Met that I would have hoped for before I started, and I mean, that's definitely overshadowed the bad stuff. Yeah, no, that's quite good. I mean, what was the obviously because you were saying you know you knew a lot more about the Swiss industry. What what brought you to to London to learn about the industry? Why not stay in Switzerland to learn about it back where you're back at home? How many Swiss films do you know? <laughs> Before I met you, zero. Yeah, yeah. There we go. <laughs> I think that's the best answer I can give. I I as as hot headed and big headed as this sounds, I just I was more ambitious. I because I don't like Swiss films, and I. As much as I enjoyed my work there, as and I still do, I still, you know, if any future employers are, are listening, I'm still down to work in Switzerland, you know, just, that's fine. <laughs> but I, it's just a bit, I don't know, everything, the, the ceiling is very low, 
and I want to I want to do I I kind of I I already spoke English and I love England and I for me it was always clear that this was going to happen eventually and I'm I'm going to try and establish myself in the English industry after after May is over just cuz yeah the films that you know the best Swiss director and the only Swiss director really is Mark Forster the guy who did Stranger Than Fiction all the other ones are mm-hmm. in that little pond that they call the Swiss filming industry um this is not to hate on my uncle, who's obviously a great filmmaker, but he 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 also is very Swiss Switzerland centered or Kurdistan centered, um, and I just you know there's so many great British directors out there, Matthew Vaughan and Edgar Wright, and you know that's not not to mention the Audis and Hitchcock and all those like there's so many great British directors, and there always has been. There's such a history of filmmaking in this country that I really I'm so much more eager to work here than work there, you know. Yeah. I mean that makes perfect sense because it's just not—it's just a booming industry. Well, instead of booming, it's a bigger industry here than it is Absolutely. there. So why not try your luck? Yeah. Well, talking of uh, of films, good segue. Uh, Life of Pi is our next film on the list. Yeah. Uh, directed by Ang Lee, starring oh boy, Suraj Sharma and Irfan Khan. Uh, sure. I don't know. <laughs> me neither. Uh, it's obviously it follows Pi being on a lifeboat with a hyena, zebra, orangutan, and a Bengal tiger, or at least that's that's what we are told and, and we see. What's uh, this? This one's on, this one's on your list. You, I believe you said on your letterbox, uh, I was there, man, on that boat. Elaborate. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's that's fair. I I should have known that question was coming. I I this is a very this is a weird inclusion. I acknowledge that, and it's very it sticks out a bit. It it's I okay. So this film, I when I when I saw it, I was seventeen, and I must have gone through some like hormonal teenager puberty stage at that point when I watched it because that film it just transported me. I'd read the book and I knew what was going to happen and what I was what I was in for and I liked the book I didn't think it was anything like out of the extraordinary but I liked it and then I went to watch the film and I was mind blown and I I cuz that they managed to to trap me on that boat that's why I wrote I was on that boat I forgot everything like th- and this is not you know for a 17 year old kid going through whatever I was going through th- that's not an easy thing but it just it just completely took me in and and there were so many powerful moments and i to this day i dream of the moment where after spending so much time together the tiger just walks into the jungle and doesn't even look back and then i rewatched it and a few years later and i realized how cheesy everything is and how like it's really not a perfect film even though the cgi is beautiful and the colors are amazing it's all a bit cheesy and all a bit ang lee I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm sure he's gone backward after after Brokeback Mountain, but this I don't know. The, the first time I watched this film, it was it was just magical. It really just transported me there to that boat, and I loved everything about it. And I just it was one of the most beautiful adaptations I'd ever seen of anything. So it kind of it kind of made the cut just for that feeling. And I it was one of those films where where the the visuals are just as important as the, the actual story. And that's not usually what I look for because I like. I'm usually substance over the the look, or like the mm. plot over over cinematography. But with this one, it just went hand in hand so brilliantly, and yeah, I loved it. 
I mean, it is, it's a very self-contained film, and it is quite... I mean, you know, as, as cheesy as it is, I think that it is one of those films that it, it contains you on that boat, and although that might be a hard film to pitch to a producer, it, it works very well, I think, for, for doing that. It is just yeah, yeah quite quite cheese i think i did go and see this with my grandma so that'll tell you exactly a lot about that it, it is the, but it is the type her. of film that you go watch with your grandma and it, it explains yeah. even less why i was so drawn to it why i loved it so much but i just i just if i if i had to tell you what films i went to watch at the cinema this would be one of the first ones that would spring to my mind because it was such an experience it was so vivid i don't know yeah i mean and from from a film of a uh, huge color that is Life of Pine, huge uh, visionary, you know, all of this kind of thing with all the special effects to quite the opposite. Uh, the Manhattan, directed, of course, by Woody Allen, starring Woody Allen, and probably produced by him as well, and also Diane Keaton and a few other people that I forgot to write down. Um, so and this, this this is a film I, uh, I of course, watched, um, and I will tell me we'll talk about it. Uh, I think maybe another time my my feelings on it. But yes. what is it about this film for you that uh, that does the job? <sighs> yeah, I can I can tell, and I know obviously I've I've read your review, and I know you're not the hugest fan of this. And there's a podcast filling conversation here that that we must talk about, and it's so it's a very <laughs> controversial. Yeah, it's a very controversial inclusion. I understand that analogy, and I, I it's it's I another mean, one of those regardless. Regardless of like allegations or whatever, regardless of Woody Allen being a person, like the film itself, what is what is it about like that that film? Regardless of him and the context of that, for me, this is this was an inclusion that came very very recently. This wouldn't have been here. I also watched this film very recently, so that was one of the key reasons. But I don't think I would have appreciated this film as much pre met pre kind of learning the 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 foundations of what makes a writer or what makes good writing this is this is one of the best written films i have ever seen i haven't read the script so i can't fully just blame all, everything on on the writing but i in terms of dialogue this is so good that all the all the exposition is is done through it's it's so wrapped up in that dialogue and every character has a specific way of 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 talking and we discover more about every in every line we discover more about the character and we understand and I, it's so easy to understand every single character in this film and kind of grasps what's going on and like even though you only see one thing and you see two people talking there's so many layers to this that i just immediately they they just sprang out to me and i again regardless of him being a bit of a weirdo and and the fact that he's in love with the minor and and you know that all the the con controversial stuff surrounding it it's so well written and it just it works as a as a film it really does it i i just i was in awe of yeah of how well crafted it is this and annie hall as well annie hall is very similar in, in terms of style um to the point where it might as well be a sequel almost um but yeah the, those two and and the way he incorporates new york and i know that you you took i think you you, you took um you said something about it. Took aim at that a little, like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But you, you didn't feel like it was. But I, I felt it was, you know, knowing Manhattan and knowing New York and kind of knowing how, how it's so much less than it's piped up to be from all the flashy images and the and the films. It was it was just everything about it I loved. I thought it was just a, it's a brilliant film. It's a brilliantly made film. 
without all the flashy um, CGI that we need nowadays. Yeah, no, it certainly is that kind of. It does feel like a film that is enclosed in its space, and it's a comfortable, you know, kind of thing. And that is that is something you know to the film's uh, benefit, I think. Um, but you also said in your notes about this as well that it's very relevant even today. Well, what did you mean by that? I mean relevant. I I, I mean I mean it's relevant to me. I I don't ah. know how how relevant the story is to to today's socio cultural. Um, standpoint or, or in our society I reckon it is because you know everyone's we're slowly moving towards a place or at least I like to think we're moving towards a place where where we're a very accepting world and everyone can be who and what they want to be and and you know he got loads of stick for for his relationship with a minor and and maybe this is kind of I don't know. Maybe it ties into the world nowadays. I don't think he would have gotten as much hate if he'd if he'd come up with this film nowadays than he had back then. I don't know. Maybe, but to me, it's relevant from a writing point of view. I'd have to do more research into if this would fit into today's world as much as well as as it did back then. I don't know. Um, and I mean, you have obviously perhaps this film being one of your inspirations for something you have written. You've written a few things in your time, uh, in your well, very short-lived professional time. And uh, you've also directed a few things. You've become one of a uh, two-part Swiss sound team at one point as well. Um, that were that did become very famous within the Met circle. And um, speak to me a little bit about about that. Your professional career, what it what it has been, where you hope it will go. Um, I'm, I don't do sound anymore. Just before people get excited, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> uh, well, my professional career has really been staged in two different places and I'm trying very hard to merge them more and more because I've I've obviously <clears throat> I started working in the industry before studying it so I kind of came into Met doing a pra- practical filmmaking course having already had a handful of experiences making films practically kind of I didn't I didn't really need I didn't really have a tutorial if Met's a tutorial I kind of skipped that and went into you know, doing the 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 grind of starting off as a runner and then becoming a third AD and then working yeah. my way up a little bit. So I was kind of already ongoing, and then I decided I want to do this properly. So I yeah, I I I'd done a bunch of stuff in in Switzerland, and then Met came along, and now I'm trying to do as many things as I can in England as well, and and eventually setting getting my foot in the door in the British industry. Yeah, I mean, and what what in in what kind of uh, what role has kind of taken you on the most? Because I know you've done everything from writing, directing, AD, sound, all those kind of things. What, which one has grabbed you? I mean, I, I can assume, but what, what, which one's for you? Right now, ADing. I I I I love the job of ADing. I love it so much. I can I can honestly say it's it's the one job. I also I also feel like I'm best at ADing. I've I've definitely the most experienced at it and it's the one thing I feel like I can contribute most to a to a film set. Um and I've had the fortune I've been very fortunate to work with some of the best Swiss ADs as well and learn from them. So that's been a very a, a huge privilege obviously. So I've gotten some some hands-on experience there as well. And yeah, that's the one that I see myself pursuing in the near future. Whether the, yeah, I th- I feel like that's a way where I can tell my story is by aiding directors or whole crews to tell their story. You know, that's like my I can contribute there as well. Yeah, that's kind of a more practical way in rather than writing directing stuff, which is kind of you know all takes takes a while. Whereas aiding, do you think you you kind of more drawn to that because you can work your way up easier or? 
Um, yes and no. I, I've, I've had the. I, I spoke with Toby last week on this on this podcast here about getting kind of a reality check, and I've I've experienced that in the in the big in the grand scheme that there's so much more to to filmmaking, especially writing and directing, than just going out there and doing it. Unless you're like a one in a billion genius, which I'm clearly not. So so for me I've I've decided to kind of go on a hiatus do my studies properly maybe even do like a, a study of history and filmmaking to better understand the craft of 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 directing and writing because I I will I will want to do that again at some point but I just I just I want to do it justice and as an ID I feel I feel like I've I've done enough or kind of have enough experience or I know enough what I'm talking about to do it properly and to kind of be vocal about it and go hey please hire me because I can do this whereas writing directing uh, for now I, I need to, I need to practice I need to get better at it before I can go out there and just direct something again yeah that's that's that is a uh, that's very fair um I also just realized I missed uh I missed another trivia question so are you ready it's fine yes I am uh, we'll just re-edit this... it in the in post <laughs> <laughs> now nah, we're keeping this all in this is all me uh all right <laughs> So, uh, this one is is more to do with Manhattan than Life of Pi, but uh, uh, so I know it's obviously very recent, which I didn't know at the time, but I do now. Uh, it's a, it's a very simple one, but uh, how many Oscars has uh, has he won, Willie Adam? How many Oscars has he won? All in all, or just as a as a as a director? All in all, how many has he won? He definitely won one for Annie Hall. Correct. And I think he might have won one for for Manhattan, but in a different category. And then Midnight in Paris. And then they obviously Kate Blanchett won one for Blue Jasmine, but that doesn't count if you're asking me for his Oscars. I am indeed. Uh I'm gonna go with two. Two. It is four. That he's won, but you were right with Annie Hall. But he actually won two for Annie Hall, one for directing, one for writing. Ah, damn. Um, And then the rest of them actually were all his writing and not directing. It was Midnight in Paris, which you said, and uh, Hannah and her sisters. They were were the other two writing ones. You did did pretty well. You got half points there. You got two out of four. Okay. Okay, I'll 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 take it. I'll take it. You named the films. That was good. Didn't even ask. Um, And from from one director to. Uh, that's quite big, really, or at least was before all this. Uh, to another massive director, Quentin Tarantino, in uh, for yes. a film we're going to talk about, Pulp Fiction, perhaps the most uh, film school film uh, that has ever existed. It is a must-see for all those involved, uh, and it's of course starring John Travolta, Samuel L. Jackson, Uma Thurman, uh, and of course uh, to, to try and give a synopsis to this uh, cluster of a film. Uh, two hitmen, a gangster's mole, and a washed-up boxer all collide. Uh, their lives all collide in three intertwining stories. That's kind of the best I can do. So maybe, maybe it's, you can do it, some it's better. It's as good as it will get. No, no, it's. I'll leave it at that. We don't have to talk about the story. Everyone either they don't know and love it, or they don't know and have to go watch it now. Actually, I don't <laughs> even care if they turn off the podcast. Just go out there and watch Pulp Fiction. Yeah, and you want to know why I love it. Well, I don't know. Yeah, what's, obviously, a lot of people do it. It's a staple film yeah. for a lot of people. So, what yeah. is it for you yeah. specifically? 
I mean, my my notes on this were were quite simple. My notes were this made me fall in love with cinema, and it's it's just yeah. that simple. This film is just ah, oh, it's everything, isn't it? It's it's first of all, it's great writing, like the dialogues. Mm. Everyone knows the big cheeseburger debate. Then the directing, <laughs> every single scene of this is iconic, up to the one where he convinces her his like where Bruce Willis convinces his annoying fucking girlfriend to get on the fucking bike. <laughs> um there's so there's so many quotable stuffs in there there's performances all around john travolta in like you know he kind of reignited his career with this yeah. it's it's tarantino at his rawest i reckon because he was he was kind of getting into his comfort zone at this point and not yet into this big hollywood he was still kind of an indie filmmaker but already yeah. successful and and had enough budget to to like do everything he wanted um you know the the classic way of telling the story not in order to make it more interesting and you know I, and it was it's all there and it's all i can't even say what it is that i love about it so much i just remember watching this my mum showed me this actually and i remember watching it with her and just going this is just i've never seen a film like this it, there's nothing it compares to nothing it's it just it seeps original originality and and bizarre characters and and a bizarre plot and and yeah it all works you know everything about this film just works and yeah it was just it was just the whole package of of two and a half hours of of perfection as weird as that sounds it's just he just gets it right in every single way and I I rewatched this so many. I've rewatched this like once a year ever since I first watched it, and I don't. I'm gonna rewatch it soon again because it's just, it's just so good. Just, I mean, is this is this one you found before you got into filmmaking, or is this one yeah, you got into yeah, filmmaking yeah. and then? No, no, no. This was I. I watched this when I was a teenager. <clears throat> Can't remember how old I would have been. It would have been like fifteen, fourteen, fifteen, something like that. So at a decent age, but just ah, oh, it's just, you know, I love it. Yeah. If yeah. if I had to, if this would this would definitely be in one of, in my best films ever watched films. This would be in there. So this is yeah. This is not only the top ten you films. This is the top ten films of exactly. all time. Yeah, that I've watched. Yeah. I will always defend this. And 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 I, I love Tarantino anyway. I think he's a, he's one of the best filmmakers of all time. And this will always narrowly though be my favorite film by him. Yeah. Uh, it's it's very. I mean, a lot of people seem to agree with you, so yeah. I wouldn't know. Yeah. I'm a bit of a basic that. bitch that way, but but this checks all the boxes. Yeah. And and uh, from two hitmen in one film to another two hitmen in another, uh, yes. in Bruges, directed by Martin McDonough, of course, and starring Colin Farrell, Brandon Gleeson, Ralph Fiennes, a lot of other British and Irish people. Um, this one, for those who don't know, is also about two hitmen, but they discuss their assignments while waiting for the next one, and when the next one does come, it's not something they expect. Um, so talk to me about this film, hopefully spoiler-free, because I still need to watch this film. Uh, you haven't uh, seen this film, Harry? Oh, no, because I've been waiting for uh, to be able to watch it with some friends of mine. Uh, who obviously it's their, their one of their favorite films, and I want to watch it with them because I won't like it if I don't. Well, that's not true. Yes, but anyway, we should. No, you will like it when you. I watched this on my own as well the first time, and we should do a watch. Then you, you, Toby, and I should, and then whoever else wants to be on there because this is. I want to be there for that. Um, yeah, no, literally, I wanted that. So the first one I want to watch when this, all the lockdowns over is in Bruges. I'll come the, over. After we'll the the post lockdown film, I'm down. Yeah, I'm so down. Let's do it. <laughs>
Was there a question attached? Sorry, I. I it was. It was just why. Why in Bruges? I know you said on your. Uh, on your thing, you just put, and I quite like this. It was just Martin with a love heart. Is it? Is yeah. this film purely a Martin for you, or is it the film? What is it? This is <laughs> like spoiler-free. Is going to be tricky, but this is. Uh, go for it. I'll forget. Don't worry. I mean, I could have picked any of Martin Madonna's films, and I'm I'm very happy to say that both three billboards and seven psychopaths already got mentioned on this podcast so i'm gonna that's kind of also why i went with this one this one would also definitely be on my top 10 films ever watched because it's just it's it's in a in a way i can compare it to pulp fiction because it checks all the boxes it's it's weird it's bizarre that it's it's a bit brutal um the the character's work it's exceptionally well written martin mcdonald always writes these broken characters that you really really shouldn't root for but you do and it, it, this i think is his purest work is it's, it's maybe not his best film as far as out and out filmmaking goes there's there's some stuff in here where you know there's some shots where you can be like yeah you, i don't know he could have picked different lenses or he could have done a bit more visually i don't know i think he he came into his own a bit when when three billboards got made but as far as as craft and and his his own passion for everything he loves about his own style goes this is definitely the, his his masterpiece i reckon in terms of how much of himself he put into this i can see his handwriting the most in this and i love his handwriting he's my favorite director and i will i will always cherish this film so much because you know, Colin, Colin Farrell's in there. Do I? Is that not just enough? <laughs> you know, and Brendan Gleeson as well. And they, they like become plain all the time about being in Bruges and how fucking boring it is. Very, Bruges it's a very is. British film in that in that regard. It is very ah, incredibly so British, so British, so dry, so moany about everything, Absolutely. but for good reason. It's a this is a bad place to be right now. Yeah, there I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to be in lockdown in Bruges. That's for fucking sure. <laughs> Colin Farrell would agree. <laughs> to be here, the, uh, I've I've been sent clips of that film so many times. I can probably quote that film to to you, even though I've not seen it yet, because of <laughs> the amount of discussion that has gone on in uh, with the, amongst us and our friends about this film. So I must see it, and I, we have you've agreed now. You, people have heard you say that we're going to watch this after lockdown. Yes, you have to do it yes. now. I'm I'm down to host. I'm so down. I will watch this happily seven days a week. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, so on to the trivia question. The right time of the podcast this time. Yes, bravo. Uh, and this one, although I do like in Bruges, uh, this one does involve Pulp Fiction. It's a bit of a bit of an easy one, so hopefully, be able to get it. But uh, what oh, actor? On. What single actor has been in the most Tarantino films? Ah, oh, God. You're asking me this because he was also in Pulp Fiction, or are you just asking me, is this just a general thing? He, he, he was in Pulp Fiction, but okay. uh, who else Who else has been... Uh, yeah, no, he was in Pulp Fiction, yeah. Who else has Samuel, been... I, I, I want to I hipfire and go Samuel L. Jackson, because he was in Hateful Eight, he was in Jackie Brown, he was in Pulp Fiction... One, two, three, four, that's four, right? Mm-hmm. No, uh, I forgot Django, obviously. He's in Django as well. So that's four. Then Eli Roth. No, Tim Roth. What's his name? Tim Roth. Tim Roth? Is that the guy? I think, I think it's Eli, Eli, isn't it? Eli? No, Eli, Eli Roth is the other guy. Eli... Is it Eli Roth? Tim? Eli, Eli Roth and Glorious Bastards, Eli Roth. 
Yeah, no, I'm talking Tim Tim Roth then. Tim Roth in Reservoir Dogs. He's in oh, Pulp that, Fiction. Yeah, yeah. He's also in Hateful Eight, and he is in. He's in another one. Ah, oh, which one is he in? Glorious Bastards. No. No, I don't, I don't know for sure. Oh, this is a tricky one. Is it? Is it Samuel L. Jackson? I'm going to go with Samuel L. Jackson. If the final answer, you want to lock it in? Ah, uh, it's either him or Eli Roth. Because Uma Thurman, he only it depends on whether you count Kill Bill. Twice. No, no, no. Uma, Uma Thurman didn't didn't do more than those three, so she can't be it. Travolta didn't do any else. Um, Michael Madsen, I know, was in a bunch, and Kurt Russell was as well, but they weren't in more than Samuel L. Jackson. So I'm going to go with Sam L. Jackson. And you would be correct. And you named oh, pretty so much all of them. Right. You named pretty much oh. all of them. Uh, although he's also apparently, you said Jackie Brown, Pop Fiction, Hateful Eight. He's also in Kill Bill and Django. He's also in Kill Bill Two. Uh, briefly, oh, and he yeah, does have second, a, yeah, that's true. And yeah. he does have an uncredited role in Inglorious Bastards, apparently. Okay. okay Which I did, I did not know before this, but you learn yeah, something new every Kill day. Bill 2? Yeah. True. Okay. It's good. It doesn't Fair matter. Enough. You got the point. Well done. He has loads um, of, of like regular collaborators. He likes to keep using his, yeah. his people. I mean, like Brad Pitt, Leo DiCaprio. Although Leo DiCaprio is they also part each. of. Uh, he's who's uh, Scorsese. They've done like yeah, five films. Yeah, that's that's he's his boy. Uh, I think that's a good my boy. Yeah, indeed. Um, all right, and now from uh, from probably one of the greatest filmmakers of all time to. Um, one of the greatest other films of all time, I think you'll agree, uh, The Italian Job, which you've got oh, on this yes. list. <laughs> which, for yes. me, you said Life of Pi is a standout. This was the standout for me, especially given you and who you are. Uh, directed by F. Gary Gray, which is just <laughs> the same name but rearranged twice. Uh, and stars uh, Mark Wahlberg, Charlie Starin, uh, a myriad of, of names that are quite big now, really. Uh, but all probably back before they were that that massive, other than Charlie Starrin has always been big. Um, yeah. Jason Statham as well. Uh, for synopsis, it's, it's a heist film, isn't it? It's just kind it's of a heist classic. Film. Absolutely. It's, heist it's, a, film. It's, a, it's got everything yeah. you could want. Absolutely. Uh, but what did it have that you you decided that this would go in the top ten? Well, first of all, I know I'm not hosting this one, but I have to give a shout out to Donald Sutherland and Ed Norton because they're in it as well. You were also brilliant. in the film, yes. Um, I, this is just to show off my love for F. Gary Gray before Straight Outta Compton came out and people starting hyping him. I'm kidding, obviously. It's not. I <laughs> had no idea who directed this when I watched it the first time. This film is only in there because I watched this when I was like 10 or 11. And I mean, as you said, it's a heist film. It's a bunch of, of thieves who do a score and then get backstabbed by one of their own crew members and then the rest of the film centers around them getting their backstabbing crew member back um that's not giving away too much that's what it's all about and i remember watching this when i was like 10 or 11 or 12 i can't remember so around about there and i just i was this for me was the coolest film ever made everything about this film it was just so cool and then i recently uh, after watching that i discovered the oceans as well and that came in that came into like the Steven Soderbergh type of film and out of sight as well and those types of films where everything just kind of seems to work together in the end and they get the big score done and and um 
yeah, and I kept, I, I then lost track of it for a bit and then kept hunting it down. And I Googled eventually when I got my own computer, I Googled film with minis in LA because that's all I could remember from it. And then I found it again and I rewatched it and I was like, yeah, you know what? As, as far as like heist film, entertaining heist films go, this is as good as it, like, that's it. That's all I need, you know, a bunch of cool yeah. thieves led by Mark Wahlberg and Charlie Theron. <laughs> you know, you're like 12 yeah. and you see Charlie Theron that's that's just, you know what else can you ask for um, she's still the same age now by the looks of absolutely, us absolutely you know, absolutely what a woman won an Oscar as well uh, can't remember what for anyway not important um, yeah so this was like this was the this was so cool this was such a cool film and I I loved it because it was so cool, and I still love it. You know, I still have. I will always have a, a very soft spot for this film, even though I obviously realise that it's not, you know, the best, um, I don't know, the, the greatest film of all time. But, in, but at the time, a know, lot of nostalgia value for you. A lot of nostalgia about this film, absolutely. Yeah. Well, from uh, from the Italian job to a very very different film, the oldest one on your list, uh, Rebecca. Yes. Of course, a yes. classic Hitchcock film uh, starring Laurent, the Laurence Olivier, Joan Fontaine, uh, Fontaine, however you say it, um, about a young woman who marries a widower but discovers she must live in the shadow of his, of his former wife who had a mysterious death. Uh, so it's, again, another kind of like, you know, not necessarily this film, but Hitchcock himself being a staple film film kind of guy. Is this, is this similar to your pop fiction and stuff? You kind of just thought, wow, this is a great film or... More to um, it. No, actually, this is a very recent discovery. I've been introduced to Hitchcock very recently. I mean, it was obviously knew who he was, but having not had any kind of ancestor who who loves old films and and shown me shows me old old films as a kid, I only recently really came into Hitchcock. Um, shout out to Elps at this point, and I've I've watched loads and loads of Hitchcocks. And nothing comes close to this, in my opinion. Even though you know the site, you have the psychos, you have the vertigos, you have the rear windows, and all that. And and I appreciate how good they are, and I appreciate why he's considered one of the greatest. But th- there's something about this film that just it's it really gives me life, or like also hope as a as a young and 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 aspiring filmmaker, and it should to anyone because this film was made with such simple means you know 1940 it came out and there's nothing about this that's overly i mean obviously the location looks pretty cool because it's set in like one of those like southern france mansions and all that but that the really it comes from the 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 tension it, it has and it has like ridiculous tension as most hitchcock films does do um it comes all from from the psychology behind it and it's so much that the, all the tension is psychological and that you can do you can do psychological tension without any kind of budget you know if you if you're a good enough writer and you have a decent enough premise then that's all you need and you can hold an audience for 2 hours or whatever however long a film is and and that's what makes this film stand out and i think it's hitchcock and his rules i think it's one of his last british films before he then went to america even might even be his last one i'm not sure and there's something about this being a British film. I, I don't know how how big his his films. I haven't seen all of his films. Who has? He's done over fifty or so. And but but there's something about this that's so raw and so pure, and yet so 
captivating in a way that he 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 always captivates his audiences. Like I said, there's always tension with him, but the the, the way he does it here with almost nothing, it's just psychological. It's just creating that mystery of who the hell was Mrs. De Winter and what happened to her. That it just it it just jumps at you and it just it sends shivers down your spine and ah. Even even as someone who took a long time to get into old films, this is this is as good as old films get. You can really watch this and still enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly one that proves you just you just got to have a good story and good writing. You can hold an audience for as long Absolutely. as you want. Absolutely, and it's all fun and, and games, you know. And, and like he does it, you know. There's obviously a slasher in in like Psycho, obviously the famous shower scene and all that, and and where you kind of know the antagonist and you know something's wrong or there's imminent death or danger or you can create a mystery with where to go where i don't know or even even rear window you know when all he does is look out the window that there's there's those are all different types of of attention and he he but he uses less tools in this than with the others and that's what i really love about it it's so simple yeah and so uh as we wind down and come to an end of this very special podcast um, I guess the only question left is what's next for you, Fabi? Where are you headed after after this uh, met and all that kind of stuff? What's what's happening? I mean, God knows when Corona is going to end. Hopefully soon. Um, I really, I mean, I've already touched on this, but I really want to get a foothold in the English film industry. I want to get work as Don't an actor. Yeah, I I think that's my next my next steps is is meeting some some of the best british ad's and going hopefully like even having a skype conversation or something with them to just kind of you know make sure i'm make sure they know i'm there trying to get them to recognize me or to know or to even hear my name or to just spread the word that i'm available for for work uh, and see where i can where i can go and i also and this is something i've i've been toying with a bit i i also don't think my educational days are are behind me i think i if i if i have the chance i would love to go into education again somewhere along the line maybe not right now maybe not right after met but um there's so much more to learn about screenwriting and and directing and and filmmaking in general that i i'm i will go back to school i think if i have the chance somewhere in the future but for now, I think it's I'm gonna I'm gonna take a year or so where I try and establish myself in in England as a filmmaker. So if anyone is listening, whoever needs an AD, I am cheap and I'm reliable and I'm hardworking and just just text me, you know, whatever it is, Instagram, whatever, just go for it. Including you, Harry, you know. Of course, <laughs> I've got a, I've got a few things working out myself as I as we discussed on my. Uh, yeah. On my podcast for this but uh well thank you very much for being with us fabi this has been lovely uh Cheers. all of this thank very last minute hosting for me. Into it. hey it's uh my pleasure and who knows wink wink nudge nudge there might be more of us two having chats with some friends down the line indeed let's not give away too much at this point but our regular listeners all three of them keep you know if they those three people keep their ears their ears peeled they might hear more from, more of us. You may indeed. Well, thank you very much, Fabi. It's been lovely chatting Cheers, to Harry. you, and good luck with everything you, you do. Yes, you too. Cheers. See you soon.